Hello, and welcome to another episode of the 49 Writers Active Voice Podcast, conversations with writers and artists in these challenging times. I'm host and producer Katie Bosler. My guest for this episode recently published a memoir with an unusual focus. It chronicles, as she entered her 70s, the discovery of two siblings she never knew existed and how these discoveries both challenged and strengthened her newfound family and her relationships with the siblings she grew up with. Joining me is the author of All in Due Time, Kate Troll. Hi, Katie. Nice to be here. Great to have you here, Kate. Now, the subtitle of All in Due Time is a memoir of siblings, genealogy, secrets, and love. That covers a lot of ground. (laughs) Tell me about the seeds planted that grew into this book and how. The seeds planted. Well, I started off having some suspicion that there might have been a half-sibling in in our lives, and that was a discovery I made like 35-plus years ago and never really acted on things. Uh, And how did you discover that 35 years ago? um, I had to get my passport renewed, and Mm -hmm. it required me to send in my original birth certificate so it was the first time I read down to line 18 on my birth certificate. I was born on a military base, so there, you know. Mm-hmm. And on line 19, it says number of children previously born alive, now alive. And there was a number one typed in there, and that would be my brother Tim. But then there was number of children previously born alive, now dead. And there was a number one typed in there. And it was like, whoa, 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 whoa what is this, you know? And I happened to be pregnant at the time, so um, I was really wanting to know what was going on. But my parents hid the fact that they had to get married because of my brother Tim. They're both Irish Catholics, living in, you know from the same small town in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. Um, went off serving in the war, both of them. Uh, so they never celebrated their wedding anniversary. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was never a wedding photo anywhere in the house. My mother had four daughters, never talked to any of us about love, relationships. So it was their young adult life was kind of a taboo topic. You know, you just, mm-hmm. they didn't, it was not to be, you just don't ask, right? So I had to figure out a way to ask my mother without her getting, without being, uh, opening up wounds, you know, because that wasn't my purpose. Mm-hmm. So I used the, my pregnancy as a reason to try to probe as to what does this mean, Mom, I'm, I'm pregnant. That's the only reason I'm asking you. And she just quickly said, oh, it's a miscarriage. And I know better, and she does too. She was a, a nurse dietitian that a miscarriage is not born alive and then dead, you know. So I gave my mother the opportunity to open up, and she just assured me that I didn't have anything to worry about in terms of my pregnancy and um, uh, wanted to drop the topic. And so the topic got dropped. So you didn't push it, and then years later... Right. Then years later, somebody showed up on my daughter's DNA test uh, that was kind of suspicious. Why is this person showing up with all this DNA more than our cousins? And I took the same test, and sure enough, that was the case. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I started communicating through the 23andMe website, 
you know, saying, hey, you know, I have reasons to believe that uh, I have a half sibling somewhere and we might be related. And I, you know, and then didn't hear anything back for a long time. And then I, uh, on the counsel of a friend, I added the lines. Uh, but I come from a loving and functional family. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Wanted to assure them that mm-hmm. there wasn't anything nefarious in my intent. And um, uh, finally, that started some communication. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, 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 but it was not a linear progression. You know, if you read the book, it's it's yeah. the discovery of two full siblings. Did. It was circular and took all, had all these twists and turns. Mm-hmm. So as a writer, I knew like, oh my God, this is an incredible story. That's and, and it all unfolded. unfolded relatively recently. Yes, um, I, I know because my new uh, older brother James just texted saying, "Hey, five years ago, you changed my life for the better." Incredible. So. The story weaves together letters and text exchanges and phone calls between you and your now new brother, James, and then sister Sally. And it even has excerpts from letters your father wrote to his parents when he was a fighter pilot in World War II. How did or didn't all these pieces of the puzzle fit? It must have been kind of a challenge as a writer to to take this yeah, this is a great story. I have all this material. Yeah, the biggest challenge was was to try and determine what my entry point was going to be. Uh, because, as you know, as a writer, you really want to hook people in. Uh, you needed to get them. In, I needed to get them invested in me. Uh, and I wanted this to be more than just a discovery story. I wanted it to be reflectful about what women like my mother went through. Um, back then, and the other thing was, is my my brother Tim wanted to share all these letters. Once we discovered James, you know, wanting to him to know about his father, and and so all of a sudden, all these letters that I have never never had read before, you know, were like circulating, and it was like shedding light on the secretive early adult life, you know, of, of both of our parents. So. I, I felt like there. I wanted to add richness and texture to mm-hmm. uh, make it more than just a discovery story and help people relate to it. And there was some pushback from some family members mm-hmm. when you were trying to track down these lost siblings. And also when you're writing the book, and what drove you to forge ahead? <laughs> wow. Yeah, well, one of the things that my father... Always, or my my mother actually said it more than anything was leave well enough alone, and one of my younger sisters was saying that to me. So I'm hearing my own mother's voice, you know, leave well enough alone. And I've always been one to not leave well enough alone because that my father emulated that practice of not leaving well enough alone. So mm-hmm. I kind of had to go back and forth a lot, mm-hmm. uh, and I needed to be respectful that well, I wanted to forge ahead. You know, each of my siblings had to come to terms with this in their own way. It's not just a discovery of of siblings. It's it's opening up family secrets. I mean, one of the questions in the book is, did our father even know that he had two full siblings? I'm not going to tell you the answer. I hope that somebody <laughs> will read it. But it, it, it was just a lot of perseverance on my part. And I guess when I really decided to push ahead uh, at key points... 
I had real strong dreams where my my sister Mimi came into my life again, who had passed away and. Oh, and, interesting. Yeah. So she. When did she pass away? She passed away in 2011. So some time ago, but. She was not. She was my paired sibling. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, Katie, you come from a large family. Kind of, you, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you have the older girls, the younger girls, the the boys. And, yes. And so that I realized if my sister Mimi were mm-hmm. the one that I was trying to find and let mm-hmm. her make mm-hmm. her decision about whether or not to have contact, if I would fight for the sister that I knew and loved, why don't I fight for the sister that I don't know? And so that's what kind of got me over the hump of, of pushing back and trying to seek contact. And when you say paired sibling, was, was Mimi the youngest uh, sister and you were the oldest sister before you discovered Sally? Yeah, I was the oldest sister mm-hmm. and then Mimi was mm-hmm. two years younger than me. Uh, you know, my mother had six of us within an eight-year time span. And my sister Mimi also lived in Alaska. So, mm-hmm. you know, we were, we were mm-hmm. very close. Mm-hmm. So she was involved somewhat from the other side in all this. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, it was just strange that when I was in this quandary about do I go ahead or not, and to learn to have her start to come in my dreams was, I think, very poignant, and I paid attention to that. Yeah. What did you learn about the siblings you grew up with in the process of this project? I, I, it re confirm for me that I'm very fortunate to have a, a, a caring, loving family. Uh, we really enjoy each other's company. So I had faith that in the end, uh, both James and Sally would want to know all of us. You know, I had to believe in the, the magic of my family, if you will, because you don't know where they're coming from. So it's they were adopted out and they have their own personal story, and you know it's it's not easy to cope with these new revelations. So I had to really uh, trust in the the love and the care of my my family, and it, they came through. And was it all traumatic for James and Sally to learn this? Oh yeah, definitely it was. Mm-hmm. Mostly for for Sally because and it took over. It was 15 months from the time that I had a connection to her before we actually uh, had made contact. Each of them, had they, they were adopted out in, in, in loving families, but, you know, they, had, they each had their childhood issues that they had to work through. So when you are entering somebody's life, you open up doors that have been closed for a while. And something you and I have in common, aside from the spelling of our formal name, Catherine, with K-T-H-R-Y-N, is is that we come from these large Irish Catholic families that really value spending time together, which is what you were just discussing. Um, And you already had an established annual family reunion where you all get together that's been going on for years. Yeah, we uh, get together regularly about every four years. And so to welcome your new siblings— you mm-hmm. organized two more gatherings yeah. where family gathered from across the country. Yes. I mean, what was that uh, like? the, well, for, for James, the, the new brother, the five of us decided that we would all fly down to uh, Florida together. And, and we all arrived in mass, just pulled up in a van and in at his, his driveway home. at his home, <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden there's his, you know, five brothers and sisters that he's meeting for the first time. 
That's incredible. That was incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and he, he looks just like my brothers. And so it was interesting because, you know, what do you do at those moments? You know, you're, you, you get caught up in being the host. So he was all into serving coffee and tea. And he had uh, bought a, a Subway party sub, you know, <laughs> and he didn't know, doesn't know us, right? So he's just trying to go with what's safe. And, and um, anyway, it was really, it was really good fun. And we made a point of making sure that because when we siblings get together, we banter, we know each other, we joke a lot not to do that. We had to shift the focus and ask about him and his life. Right, so so he would wouldn't feel outside the club. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. We said, "Show us a picture from. Did you go to prom? Show us your prom photo." Mm-hmm. You know, and he pulled out the yearbooks, and and it was great. And it was uh, he he was really relieved about that. He 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 was worried that he would feel just like being on the outside. Instead, he felt like he was included right away. Just part of the family. Mm-hmm. And one of the funny things was this a moment that broke the ice. So as this party sub is going around the, the, the kitchen table, I'm sitting at one end with my uh, one of my sisters, and she doesn't like tomatoes, so she pulls out the tomato on her sandwich, you know, and I, and I don't like tomatoes either. Mm-hmm. I mean, I eat them in sauces and whatnot, but, yeah. you know, not in a sandwich. So I, I, I'm pulling out my tomato, and the party sub gets all the way around to James, and he pulls out his tomato, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so if you'd like, grown up together, you all would have been yeah, saying, Mom, like, oh we don't God, want tomatoes. Yeah, we're like, oh, my God, look at this, you know. And, and so that was a really good laugh, and it just kind of broke the ice and, and made us realize that, yeah, there's quirky things that we'll discover about uh, what we have in common. And so your mother and father had these these two human beings out of wedlock, then they went on to raise a family of, of six more. I mean, who does that? I mean, it just... Yeah, it's strange that it took, you know, I mean, her the secret, one secret she took to the grave was that she had to get married because she was pregnant with, with Tim. We had long figured it out, but she never admitted to it, you know? But But she was more on her own with the first two, right? yeah, because yeah, your, dad, exactly. was, your yeah. dad was fighting World War II, is that Well, my mother was in the Women's Army Corps, and uh-huh. my father was serving in the Army Air Corps and survived 26 bombing missions, so it's amazing that I'm actually here to talk about it. And they grew up with each other all their lives in the same small town, one block mm-hmm. away from each other. So it was, it was kind of a mystery, you know, why is this part of their young adult life so quiet and secretive? We don't really have all the answers, but mm-hmm. what's interesting about the book is mm-hmm. I take you along the exploration with all of my siblings. Yes. So we're, we're having yeah. discussions about, yeah. no, I don't think Dad knew. No, he must have. No, no, no. You know, so you get you get immersed into those kinds of family conversations. Yeah. Um, and that's still, like you said, your mother took that to her grave. Yeah, yeah, took three those three secrets yeah. to her grave completely. Were your parents very romantic together when you were growing up or affectionate? Occasionally, let's put it that way. You know, when they would sit around and have martinis and they mm-hmm. would, my dad liked to listen to Louis Armstrong and he'd play the record and he would, you know, get up and dance with my mom and twirl around. And yeah, mm-hmm. so we, we saw those moments mm-hmm. where uh, they were affectionate toward each other, but, you know, they they weren't gushy romantic. An interesting uh, line I noted in your book, you wrote, although they obviously had some kind of innate attraction toward each other, 
I now realize we, the troll kids, became their love story. Yeah, exactly. Because they were incredible parents together. You know, they showered us with important values, love Mm -hmm. and affection. So in the last five years, you discovered two new siblings, now now the oldest brother and sister. Mm -hmm. When, When you previously were the oldest sister and your brother... My brother Tim, Tim was, was the, yeah. the oldest brother. You've written this book. You've processed all this. And you end the story, um, the memoir, uh, with it's the end of this second family reunion that's hosted by your, your sister Sally now, mm-hmm. her, her horse farm. Mimi, uh, your sister who passed on, makes her presence known as this gathering at Sally's comes to an end. I want to see if you could read a little bit about that for us and maybe set it up for us unless I... Oh, I thought you did a good job <laughs> okay. setting it all up. Okay. You know, The only thing you need to know is uh, uh, at the second time that we all got together to meet the siblings, we brought our spouses. And actually, my son uh, was able to also make it. And, and we didn't all arrive at once. So, <laughs> you know, got a little stage. So Sally had a little bit easier time um, getting to know, be part of the troll clan. Days later, I'm alone as the last one to depart Sally and Luke's horse farm. Duncan, the donkey, brays at the rose-colored break of day. Duncan is one of 12 animals. Yes, there are a lot of horses. Eight. Duncan makes nine. Two cats. And Max, the dog, makes 12 animals. I am partial to Duncan, so hearing him bray out my bedroom window is a sweet way to wake up. The reunion and the reunion were extraordinary events, so much so that I sit here in Sally's roomy apartment. There is a tinge of sadness in the air. This much-anticipated moment, 18 months in the making, is now behind me. Duncan brays again, echoing the lingering wisp of goodbye. With a cup of Earl Grey tea in hand, I sit down to write in my journal and to leave a departing note. In the note to Sally, I let her know that she no longer represents sadness as a child coming into this world. Rather, she now represents completeness in our family. I write in my journal, just as Mimi's presence has been strong, so too has my mother's presence. Reflecting on my mother, I write this note in my journal. Sally is perhaps most like you, Mom, a woman who married a lawyer and put aside a career for family. Like you, she is soft-spoken, thoughtful, not to be taken for granted. Her depth of kindness quietly ripples outward, just like yours did. Sally even plays bridge with the ladies. Had she actually been raised in our family, Sally could have been your favorite daughter, next to me, Mimi, Ruby, and Christy. Looking out the window at the horse pastures, I notice the dynamic contrast of the black painted fences against the intensifying pink glow of morning. It draws me out to see Duncan and the horses one last time. I am wearing Mimi's purple corduroy shirt, just as I did on the big reunion day, but this time I am only wearing it because it could not fit in my overhead luggage. It is too bulky. My sisters Ruby and Christy did not bring their similar corduroy shirts to this reunion. There is no impromptu gathering of the corduroy club this time around. It was my sister Mimi who first established the corduroy club as a simple way to acknowledge the tendency for female relatives showing up at reunions wearing L.L. Bean wide whale corduroy shirts. The corduroy club became an easy way to convene a gathering and raise a margarita to family. Before coming to Tennessee, I floated the idea that we sisters should bring an L.L. Bean corduroy shirt for Sally as a way to welcome her into the corduroy sisterhood. In talking with my sisters, they remind me that each of us needs to process this discovery in our own way and in our own time. 
Once reminded of this personal nature of my suggestion, I dropped the idea of bringing a corduroy shirt for Sally. Off in the horizon, a thoroughbred with head held high races across a lush pasture. Duncan nearby cooperates, and I snap a photo of sunlight on his face. Cute, cute, cute. I hear Sally arrive and go out to greet her. We return to the apartment. I follow Sally inside, push aside my personal departure note, and serve tea. We talk about how wonderful this time has been. Warming up, she takes off her jacket, and there she is in a wide-ribbed corduroy shirt. Is that an L.L. Bean shirt? I think so. Why? I get up to check her neck label. This is great. You were in the corduroy club all along. As I explain to Sally about the significance of the shirts, I hear Duncan hee-haw in the background. It's as if Mimi is belly laughing at this moment. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uncanny. All these little serendipity things that happen along the way. Well, twice in the book, you mentioned this quote by the Jesuit philosopher Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, which is, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Yeah, that's something that's always spoken to me as a truth. And it, it helps me gain perspective at critical emotional moments, you know, and, and I realized that I'm on a spiritual journey here when I was searching to find my siblings. It, you know, it was meaningful on, on lots of different levels. And to experience um, those connections. Those when, connections. When, the, when you're yeah. all now in, in what's known as the third act of your lives. Right. Yeah, right. And there, like I said, there's those, those serendipity moments that mm-hmm. confirmed that, yes, we are spiritual beings here, having a very unique human experience. But it's, it's unique in, in that I find two full siblings. But what I found when I talk about this book, it triggers everybody else's story that they had uh, about a, a possible half-sibling or, you know, they discovered another relative. You know, the whole DNA world is opened up and everybody's little family secrets are kind of rippling out now. And it's fun to hear their, their reflections, too. And do you know if this is even a subgenre at this point? Are there other people, <laughs> other other writers making these discoveries and and writing memoirs about them, like you have? There are other memoirs out there that talk about the discovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danny Shapiro wrote wrote one called Inheritance, and I read that book, and that helped me focus in on uh, how I wanted to approach this. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said earlier, uh, one of the challenges was to find your entry point into a story that allows you to be reflective and yet tell it forward at the same time. And, you know, reading her book helped me find my entry point. And the final chapter are reflections from your siblings, mm-hmm. the, their personal reflections, their words. And I'm particularly interested in this because a, a common perception is that each member of a family may have a completely different version of the same story. And is that what you spurred you to include this section in your memoir? Yes and no. I, I knew that, well, I was the one reaching out to try and find these siblings. It was going to be a journey for all of us. So when I decided to write this from the very beginning, I said to each of them, I'm making notes because I like to write this up, but I also want you guys to add your section into it. Uh, yeah, because... They they have a slightly different perspective. It's like, for example, it was my brothers that brought up the question. Well, they didn't think Dad, our father, knew that he had these children. And as a woman, I, I 
and I was always coming to my mom's defense, you know, and it's like, oh my gosh, that's right, you know, that that could have very well happened where that it didn't occur to me, but it occurred to them, mm. and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then then we explore that question together in the book. We're recording this uh, during the holiday time, uh, about twelve days before Christmas. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like uh, from James and Sally's perspectives that they are that are included in the end of the, at the end of the book. They are so grateful that that this happened and that you found each other, and they're very positive about it. How does this does this change the holidays at all for you? Well. We just have uh, more Zoom calls with more people on them, you know. I guess one of the neatest things that's happened is my daughter, Erin, has become really close to James's daughter who have, you know, he was an only child and he married a woman who was an only child and together they had an only child. So she, she didn't have any cousins or anything else like that. They have hit it off and they've become good friends and have come up to Alaska and, and they do, they do trips together. And it's like, you know, she reminds me, mom, you know, you didn't, it's not just your generation. It's the next generation too, that yes. is now shifting and changing because they yeah. have other sets of cousins they all like each other. They're very different mm-hmm. individuals. Mm-hmm. And so that's been fun to see as well uh, during the holidays. Next, my last question is, unless you have anything else you want to add that I haven't asked you about. It's not just a discovery story. I take a point to explore mm-hmm. some things that happened to my mother. You know, when I mm-hmm. discovered James, I learned about where she was when she gave birth to him. Mm-hmm. And then that triggered me to do some historical research. And I discovered this book called And Sin No More, Social Policy with Unwed Mothers in Cleveland, Ohio, which mm-hmm. is the time frame my mother was there. And, mm-hmm. you know, learned about what she had to go through uh, in this house of shame, if you will. It was very demeaning. You know, women weren't allowed to just show up and have their baby. They had to be there for six weeks. They had chores every morning. They had four to five hours of catechism, of being preached to, you know. The the men, of course, had no accountability. But here is this woman, a professional woman who served in the Women's Army Corps, you know, who has experienced a wide-open world, but then all of a sudden gets pregnant and is shunned, if you will, and shamed. And that was a hard thing to discover for all of us. I remember at one of the reunions, I brought the book uh, so my other siblings could read and experience, but then nobody did. And they, they just, you know, it was a sad chapter, you know, of our mother's life that we didn't know about before. But I find that it's relevant because she was not alone in that. And, and here we are nowadays dealing with some of the same issues. Women, we have come so far, but, but now we're taking choices away. I, in other words, yeah. I added depth to the book in places like that. Uh, yeah, I looked at that, birth order because mm-hmm. that, that kept coming up as a topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the other interesting things was uh, that we discovered that the two full siblings that we'd met, they were raised by separate parents, obviously, in red states, but yet they leaned progressive. They were liberals. And so that made me wonder, how, how did all eight of us end up, you know, being 
liberal-minded people in our politics. And so I did some research into, you know, how much of our political ideology is affected by our genetics. That can be affected by genetics. The expression of it can be. There's, well, that's there's, fascinating. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. basically there's some genes that tend to trigger compassion and then mm-hmm. another gene that triggers authoritarianism. You know, you want everything to be organized and ordered. And, and so it's how those genes get expressed is what mm-hmm. is yeah. part of our genetic history. And mm-hmm. yeah, so we, it's, I, it's, I discovered about 30 percent, essentially, of our political ideology can be affected by our genetic makeup. Still leaves a lot out there for nature to, in our environment, to affect. Yeah, this is just so all-encompassing because we're talking science now, where this is also a very spiritual book. To me, that was another aha moment, learning about, like I said, how much of our common ideology is influenced not only by who we are, but you know, our environment. So, yeah, it's a spiritual journey there as well. And the bottom line is, do you feel like you've done right by your mom and your dad with this memoir coming to fruition and telling this story? The time I felt right about it was when, for the first time, all eight of my mother's siblings were sharing a dinner table together. I knew she was smiling down, you know, and my dad was right there, too, grinning. I love that. I felt like I've I've honored her at at that point in time, the, the, and, and I think the writing honors not only her, but it honors our entire family. Heather Lunday did a review for me on the book, and mm-hmm. she mentioned that, you know, it made her wish that she was a long-lost troll. <laughs> 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 you know? All right. Well, uh, I think we'll end on that image of the eight of you gathered around the table with your mom and dad and, and Mimi looking on. Yeah. Thank you. Kate Troll, thanks so much for joining me for Active Voice. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode with Kate Troll on her book, All in Due Time, a memoir of siblings, genealogy, secrets, and love. You can find it at bookstores in Alaska and online. Please subscribe and follow the 49 Writers Active Voice podcast on Apple, Spotify, and 49writers.org. And help spread the word by liking it on podcast platforms or sharing with friends and family. This conversation was recorded at KTOO Juno. Music by Liz Snyder and Alex Katlars. I'm Katie Bosler.